Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The inside story on the teams, suppliers and circuits. Inside on RadioLeMans.com. Hello there and welcome along to another RadioLamont.com inside story. This is where we, if you like, go behind the velvet rope, peel back the curtain on suppliers, teams, or in this case, old series. The first year of a brand new series, the Tudor United Sports Car Championship. Inside on RadioLamont.com. Scott Atherton is with me to... I suppose review the first year, but more than that, Scott, I, I want to talk about just how it all happened in year one and not necessarily the good or the bad points. We've followed that through the year, but the human side of it and how it's it's all come together and how that now provides a stepping stone into 2015, which is pretty much on our doorstep, scary enough, off-seasons rather too short nowadays but it'd be wrong not for me not to ask you how you felt the first season went it was something that well, a lot of people thought would never happen the two sides of american sports car racing getting together it did it has happened it's now history great questions john all the way across and uh, it's it's one of the toughest questions to answer succinctly so i'm glad we've got some time to kind of dig a little deeper today i, I would say it was a year of expectations fulfilled it was a year of expectations missed and a year of surprises Mm -hmm. um i'll I'll try to take them not in any particular order but you know one of the most rewarding moments for me was uh, at the pre-race introductions leading up to the start of the rolex 24 at daytona and as you've pointed out there are many people myself included that for over a decade thought that what has been accomplished this season would have never occurred. So we're standing up on the big riser and Joey Chitwood is off to the side, up at the microphone, talking to the fans. There's a full grid of world-class cars, teams, and drivers. There's a bigger crowd of fans that have attended, you know, that are there for the race than have attended a Daytona 24 in a long, long time. And I'm standing next to Jim France, uh, Ed Bennett's there, uh, Don Panos is off to the side, and we took a moment to literally corral everybody together and just kind of take a look, you know, can you believe it? You know, Take it yourself. in. Yeah, take it in, enjoy it. And that, that sticks out just as a personal memory. Now, going much farther beyond that, the most rewarding aspect of this whole season for me has been how the teams of people across all aspects have gelled together, worked together to basically accomplish everything that was required to pull it off. And it's Scott Elkins and his team on the technical side. It's the entire marketing department here under Dave Pettit's direction, seeing everybody just Regardless of your background, regardless of what you used to say when asked about what do you think of the American Le Mans series or what do you Mm. think of Grand Am, we all had one rope in our hand and we were all pulling the same way. Um, So that, you know, as far as from the management perspective, 
could not be more pleased about that. And that continues today. There's, I believe, the strongest overall team of people that's assembled, getting up every morning saying, what am I going to do to make the Tudor United Sports Car Championship in particular and IMSA in general better than before? And how many people is that, Scott? I mean, if we talk about IMSA as a as a whole, as an overarching organisation, and you know, not let's not bother about how we subdivide that. But what are we talking about in terms of how many people are on that rope? It's a difficult question to answer unless you start saying full time, part time, oh, yeah. okay. based in Daytona, because we have full time staff members that are not Daytona based. If you looked at the full time staff, it's it's mid thirties. Um, and that it's not now compared to some other organizations, including, you know, the one that I was, uh, working with there within the Panos Motorsports group, it's again, not radically dissimilar where it starts to grow though, is when you start adding in part-time staff that in many cases they're part-time by definition only, you know, they're, they're working very, you know, adamantly on our business. I'm sure much more than a part-time basis. And then when you add in the, the folks that come in on the weekends yes. and assist with the events, that's when it goes north of 100. So on a race weekend, the IMSA staff is quite large. The full-time staff that is working on our business day in and day out, mid-30s, mm. um, and the hardest-working staff in motorsports, I might add. And, that, and that's I mean, the other thing we should mention when we're talking IMSA. We're not just talking about the Tudor United Sports Car Championship because as – in the old days of IMSA and the, the recent history of IMSA, you are talking about a sanctioning body that covers motor racing at all levels of, Ameri- of the American side of the sport. Never been more true than today. Uh, there's a total of seven different racing platforms that are sanctioned by IMSA. Uh, the most prominent, of course, being the Tudor United Sports Car Championship, the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge. From there, the single make cups with Porsche, Lamborghini, Ferrari, a developmental series with the Porsche or the uh, IMSA prototype lights. So we have on any given weekend um, multiple staffs in multiple multiple locations. I think we did a total of 96 events in total this past season. So you know when we talk about our our sister company here in the building that you know we're we're all in awe of 42 race weekends that they do when you combine the the test weekends and the the special events that NASCAR Sprint Cup does and then we cal- calibrated our own number of events that we do and it's like well we're closer to to them than we thought yeah yeah uh, and that brings up another question um when again IMSA, we the headline events, of course, is the one that people think about, which is two United Sports Cars, Continental Tires. But you do have to do stuff at multiple venues on the same weekend because not everyone can be fit. If it was always all at the same place, that has its own challenges, and we'll talk about some of those. But at least you would have everybody on the same ground. Correct and. You've got a lot of folks that are wearing multiple hats. You know, there's some that are dedicated. You know, I'll give you a couple of examples. You know, Steve Sewell is focused very much on the Porsche GT3 Cup North America by Yokohama that he runs. Um, Randy Hembry, you know, same thing with the Lamborghini Super Trofeo Series. So they have that as, I would say, their day job. But believe me, with the talent that's represented by those folks, we pull them into other aspects of our business as well. Uh, You've got other examples that go across the board with our track services, track safety. 
you know, if it's an IMSA activity that's on track, regardless of its description, they're engaged. Same thing with timing and scoring. You know, we could go down through the whole list, but you're right. Where it really gets challenging is when you have a Tudor championship race in one venue, a Lamborghini event in another, a Ferrari challenge race in yet another. And on the most extreme example, you could throw another one in there at Mm. at an even fourth. Thankfully, that doesn't happen very often, but uh, it does stretch the system and the equipment and the people. And it really makes you appreciate the organization that we have put together here, that we have the capability to do that. And presumably when that happens, not all of those events, obviously Tudor is its own headline event and therefore is an IMSA-sanctioned event, but some of those other events will be running at a race weekend that has have other sanctioning bodies involved in them. So it's not just a question of putting your own event on, it's a question of liaison to Always, and the, the good news there is that with very few exception, we all get along very well. Um, we don't consider, you know, that we're infringing when, when we're going into another sanctioning bodies weekend and vice versa when we have some of their content joining us. I will say that the opportunity for someone else to join in our weekends because of all the content that we have ourselves is the rare exception. But we do have, you know, some of the single make um, cups in particular, single make platforms. It's not uncommon for them uh, to want to pick and choose other venues. Um, more diversity. Sometimes it makes more sense just the logistics. Mm. You know, when the, the Tudor Championship is up and running, especially in this, what we consider the second half of the season, which is everything that happens after Le Mans, mm-hmm. um, that's a pretty tough schedule to me because it's just about a race every other weekend. And if you're a, a gentleman racer that is running in the Porsche GT3 Cup, for instance, you, you couldn't keep that pace. It's the rare exception. You know, they just don't have the bandwidth to be able to do that. So we pick and choose some other weekends that make sense for them to line up with. And how does that work then? Is it you or is it the the guys who run the individual series who ring up an opposite number at, say, the SCCA or IndyCar or whoever it is and say, right, guys, we need to put this schedule together? And that's clearly not a work of a moment. No, it's not. It's a, a tremendous amount of work. Uh, there's so many moving parts and variables. You lose track of them. But to answer your question, it's primarily our responsibility. You know, that's why organizations come to IMSA and not only do they want to be part of the Tudor championship, but they want the expertise, the professionalism, uh, the capabilities that we have. And part of those capabilities is the relationships with the different venues, the promoters, the ability for us to construct a schedule. And when it doesn't make sense to be directly involved with a, an IMSA weekend to have the relationships and the the street cred, so to speak, to be able to go out and find the right fit and and be able to confirm it. It's something that I spent, ironically, the better part of today working on. We have one last piece of the puzzle with one of our uh, racing platforms that we're urgently trying to resolve. And I think, um, you know, fingers crossed by this time tomorrow, we'll have that done and dusted and and will truly be done and ready for 2015. And we should say we're talking at the beginning of of December here, whenever you're you're listening to this. Is it important then, Scott, that you have individuals who are if you like brand aware as well as series aware for those championships whether it be Tudor or Continental or indeed the other championships that IMSA sanctioned so that they can accurately go out and represent 
not just the needs and the requirements, because we could all say, oh, we always want the very best, clearly. But you've got to know the people who are racing with you. we got to know the people that are racing with us, and we also need to know the limitations of some of the venues. Um, there are some examples, unfortunately, where because of either pre-existing relationships or just the nature of the involvement of a particular OEM, for instance, that precludes any other branded activity that could be conceivably in conflict from occurring. So we have worked a lot of uh, miraculous recoveries as a result of that. Um, And we've also had to swallow hard and accept some limitations as well. Um, I, I don't know of any venue that we don't have what I consider to be a very healthy, strong um, business relationship with. And the good news is most of the content, if not all of the content we have, is in demand. It's it's what you want on your road racing weekend. So typically it's us managing demand as well as supply. Uh, you're listening to an inside special here on RadioLamont.com. Scott Atherton is with me, John Hindhoff, and we're talking about the inside story of the Tudor United Sports Car Championship and, indeed, more broadly, IMSA. Y- you mentioned there, Scott, the, the, the venues. Now, putting a calendar together for, for one series is, is difficult enough, and it is always the source of much ire uh, at, at any time of year about which ones you can do, which ones you can't do, whether there's clashes with other series uh, and other similar types of, of racing. You guys deal directly with the venues. Your advantage is, as you've said, that they want you there. Does that make it harder or easier? Because your phone must be ringing off the hook with people saying, we want Chile United Sports Cars or one of the IMSA series? The, the biggest challenge and also the biggest benefit, in my opinion, of this merger is just that. It's the calendar. Um, we used to with great kind of uh, pleasure, pull out a blank sheet of paper and scribble down what in in those days was the dream schedule. Yeah. Can you imagine starting at Daytona and then going to Sebring and then going to Long Beach and then going to Road America and so on and so on and so on? And the fact that this merger has enabled us to do that has been a, a blessing and a curse. Um, the blessing is it has given us that dream schedule. It's all of the iconic, historic, bucket list endurance racing venues and events across North America, period, full stop. Mm-hmm. The curse is that it's given us all the iconic, you know, blah, blah, blah across North America. The reason I say that is it looks great on paper, but when you do the math on the reality of what it takes to run, a 24-hour race, a 12-hour race, a 10-hour race, a 6-hour race, and you add all of that mileage and all of that race time together, I think for an American Le Mans Series team, it represented more than a 50% increase in running time. For a Grand Am team, that same schedule represented about a 30% increase in running time. So knowing that race cars are not dissimilar to boats and airplanes, you know, they, they run by the hour. So the cost of of racing that much. I think when we look at the first 36 hours of our season, 24 at Daytona, 12 at Sebring, uh, that's an IndyCar season, yep. you know, in, in its total. 
including practice and qualifying and all. In so, fairness, the gap between your first race and your second race is, I think, now longer than the whole of the IndyCar series put together. They've squeezed it into such a short time. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to watch with great uh, eagerness to see how that plays out for them. I think it's, it's a, certainly a bold move on their mm. part, but um, we'll see. But, yeah, the, the reality is the schedule is our strongest asset, mm-hmm. and many of the team owners that have been faced with creating the budgets and developing the business plan to accommodate that schedule would tell you it's also the biggest challenge. And logistically, you have to think of the teams. You're one of your stakeholders. The tracks are another. Some of them you are owned by the organization or you would think would have a little bit more sway with. I know that's not always the way that it, that it works out. It would shock you. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it wouldn't me. I think it would shock the listener. Um, however, you've got your own team. To run and that logistic side of of that and where you divide your resources in some case how long does it take you to put that schedule together from that side of you and say right okay person a you're going to do daytona but you're not going to sebring because you've got to go somewhere else but then you're back here for long beach and if you've got 100 people minimum as you're talking about there again that is something that you don't throw together on the back of an envelope no it's um, Simon Hodgson is uh, one of the most recent additions to our team, and frankly, he's, uh, he's already a candidate for MVP, in my opinion. Uh, that logistical challenge that you just described, you know, it falls on his shoulders to manage. He's got a, a good team of people around him that uh, have done it before. Scott Elkins managed that part of the business prior to Simon coming into his role. Um, Mike Simons, who is our paddock magician and uh, and a small group of people that work with him that work out all the logistics of our trucks and transportation and by that you mean actually where people are parking and how much room they've got that and just you know when the trucks leave and when they arrive Mm -hmm. and when you set up and when you tear down and the hundreds of people that are involved in all of that activity you know thank god for the uh, spreadsheet software that gives you the ability to to build the model on a race-by-race basis and then roll it up into a full season. And then you look at all of the opportunities for efficiency. And I would say that's one of the biggest focus points that we are zeroed in on for what's going to be different about 15 versus 14. We took a lot of heat this past season from our, our paddock, our direct competitors, our stakeholders, they were spending way too much time at the track for the amount of time that we're mm-hmm. on track. You know, we've got to be here Tuesday, and we don't turn a wheel until Friday morning. How can that be? Mm-hmm. Well, when you're loading in the sheer numbers of what it takes to get that paddock parked, and then everybody goes through scrutineering, and then everybody has to be ready to turn a wheel for that first time, it does require that type of a lead time. Now, we have looked at every aspect of what we do, from how we scrutineer the cars to the driver's equipment and team equipment and safety checks. And every aspect of it has been looked at for efficiency. And I think in, some, in just about every example, we've taken at least a day mm-hmm. off of the schedule. Now, when you do the economies of scale, if you've got a 45-car a grid – 45 teams, and this is just the Tudor Championship Mm -hmm. I'm talking about, and let's say the average team has 25 people, and you say we can take a day of travel times 25 people times 12 events, Mm -hmm. the numbers quickly become really impressive. 
that pendulum swings both ways. Yes. You know, you can increase your costs and you can decrease your costs very rapidly. That's one of many examples that we've got going on. Uh, and that directly affects IMSA as well, of course. You've got your trucks on the road. Again, if it's a split weekend, I don't even have a clue how you guys can do so much in terms of scrutineering and presumably you have to, to, to lean on the facilities that are available to you at the tracks. But those trucks must do a heck of a lot of miles during the year. I know it's a, a national series in terms of it doesn't go other than to Canada outside of, of North American continent, yeah. but it's a big continent here. It's a big country, and, and you're right. There's lots of miles and lots of planning that goes into it. Um, you look at what the challenges were this past year and merging these two organizations together, two cultures, um, Two, two of everything, really. You know, we, we had two sets of truck drivers. We had mm-hmm. two sets of logistics hubs, um, two rule books. You know, every aspect of it required some degree of compromise and, and forcing together in order to make it work. And for the first time since getting through that first inaugural season, we've had the opportunity to sit down and really put a fine point on it. And to your point that this also, these efficiencies benefit us, IMSA, absolutely true. You know, we're in there in the same way that the teams are in there. If we've got to be there a day longer to do the job, it impacts impacts us the same way. If we can compress our schedule such that it benefits the teams, that's a direct benefit back to us as well. These are all things, though, that the fan necessarily probably couldn't care less about. Well, we haven't talked about racing, and that's kind of deliberate for me at this point because I want to go behind that and say what has to happen before the cars roll out onto the track is probably more of, in terms of time, is more in terms of time and effort than actually when the track, in some ways, you almost breathe a sigh of relief when you get to a green flag. You couldn't have said it better. Um, you know, I, I, Jackson Brown's song, you know, that he recorded on his tour bus going down the road, dedicated to all the people that make that concert tour work. And I feel like, you know, if we could crank that up on the stereo, on the setup days, as we lead to that green flag you talk about, um, we're no different. You know, those unsung heroes that put in all of the time and effort, and believe me, sweat because it's normally a hot, humid day, and they're putting up tents and laying down kiwi tile and laying cable and mm-hmm. pulling cameras and just every heavy lifting aspect you can think of goes into preparing before the gates ever open to the fans. Um, so when that green flag drops, yeah, in many respects, it is a relief because at that point, it's completely out of our control. You know, all the parts that we could infect uh, any sort of uh, control over are behind us at that point. You, we, we joked a little bit about the IndyCar schedule being compressed. They've done that for for the reasons of television. That's another side of what you guys have got to deal with. And any big series, however big they are, there are very few series who can dictate to the one-eyed monster in the corner yeah. of the room. With NASCAR behind you, with Daytona behind you, you've got a little more pull. I'm not saying that anybody can still dictate. Has that made a difference to how you've looked back at last year and how you would plan for for 2015? Yes, it has. And your description of the role that NASCAR plays and the fact that we're now Daytona-based and part of the the family is very accurately said. Um, It gives us more influence for sure, no question. Um, Control, not so much. 
Um, we have a wonderful partner in Fox, uh, primarily Fox Sports 1, Fox Sports 2. As you know from this past season, we were very fortunate to put three of our events on the Fox network, which is a, uh, a very significant development. You know, And I would say that wouldn't have happened if we had not had the NASCAR influence along for that process. Um, you never know what the future holds. You know, I, I get a lot of questions. Can we expect the same next year? That's certainly what we want. Um, at this time last year, we didn't know what was going to develop in that regard. And at this time going into 2015, we don't know for sure either. That's all work in progress, but, uh, it is a critical aspect of any professional sport to have a, a solid TV partner and, and to be able to bring what, occurs on our race weekends to a national and international audience. Um, without it, you know, frankly, there wouldn't be a Tudor United Sports Car Championship. Uh, there clearly has to be compromised. And do you sit down then, you personally or David Pettit or whoever it is, and look at, with the TV companies, at, right, okay, that weekend it's a big football game. You know, it's an Olympic Games year. It's, you know, whatever soccer world cup yeah do you have to be mindful with the tv partners of that and sit down and work through those logistics too absolutely um and we started that process midway through the 2014 season because we we knew that we were going to have a very similar schedule it wouldn't be identical but it would be similar and that's important isn't it because consistency is important to build any event absolutely date equity cannot be overrated you know it's it's real and and if you don't believe me, change the date and sit back and watch because you'll you wish you hadn't. Now sometimes it's unavoidable for the reasons you bring up. You know, I recall at Road America one year. You know, we'd had a similar date year over year over year, and then the um, the U.S. Open you know comes to Sheboygan. And uh, sorry guys, but we're not going to pick that fight. But those thankfully are the rare exception. And I think our current calendar gives us a higher degree of stability than we've ever had. Um, we're not looking for the next street race to come along to pay us a sanction fee to be able to add another weekend onto the calendar. That's not the mode we're in. But back to your original question, how critical is it to understand what's going on in the local market, what's going on nationally? Is it a World Cup year? Are we all going to be preempted as a result of that? Is it Olympics? Mm -hmm. What's going on in the marketplace that it would potentially impact either a rating or hotel availability <laughs> or you know any factor thereof that plays into it and that's what we we're talking about putting the schedule together you feel like a plate spinner you know because you got you get three or four of them going and you focus on the fifth one and while you're doing that the first one's about to drop off so you got to run back over and get that one going again you get everything set with a local promoter it's an open weekend the jazz festival's not going on that weekend we've got this we got that and then you go to, to the Fox television partner and they say, sorry, we're completely sold out that weekend. We have no options. Mm. So you're back to square one. So, Does that uh, ha happen often? And I mean, that, that must be terribly frustrating, but I dare say there's not much you can do about it. But well, you can look at other options. And nowadays, those options, particularly in terms of uh, digital broadcasting, are probably a little wider than they would have been certainly 15 years ago when you and I would have had this first type of conversation. But I mean, does that happen often? Thankfully, no. But uh, the television universe, while you could say, you know, the proliferation of cable and Internet channels has provided more availability than ever before. And I would agree with that. But I think 
every major sport still needs a combination of traditional broadcast content as well as the ability to stream full length you know let's take a 24-hour race as our most extreme example we all know that there isn't any television network regardless of description that's going to take a 24-hour broadcast it's just not real so you you then focus on how can we get the biggest most impactful traditional broadcast position confirmed and then make sure that that core fan that wants every minute of that race that we deliver the same experience to them, albeit through a different medium. Mm. And that's the kind of the pecking order that you go through. It's thankfully rare that we find ourselves just completely with no options. Maybe it's a tape delay. Maybe it even goes to the next day. But thankfully, touch wood, we've been able to work through those with few exceptions. You're listening to Scott Atherton and me, John Heindorf, and we're nearly at our the end of our time together on this inside look at the Tudor United Sports Car Championship and IMSA. If we're looking inside to you, how do you look at yourselves and how do you process all this information to make yourselves better? What kind of critical features do you have about yourselves? How does that work internally, Scott? We've taken a lot of feedback over the course of this inaugural season, and I mean from every every constituent you can think of lots of fan feedback you would expect mm-hmm. that a lot of stakeholder feedback from team owners to drivers to crew members to OEM partners to television you name the category there's been feedback much of it has been very constructive mm-hmm. some of it you know frankly over the top in mm-hmm. my opinion you know given the circumstances most people start their comments with, look, what you guys have accomplished is nothing short of remarkable given what you had to do. As I look to the future and I speak on behalf of a, of a building full of people that wake up every morning and, and work their tail off all day long to make sure that the IMSA and the Tudor Championship and the Continental Tire Challenge and all of our other platforms only go one direction, and that's up, mm-hmm. and we we're I won't say we're to the point that it's just fine-tuning because Mm -hmm. we're not there yet. But we are making significant changes to just about every aspect of our business. I think fans are going to see, and I'm not going to spoil it you know here well it'll depend on when you're listening to this interview, whether or not what I'm referring to is, you know, made publicly aware or not. But every aspect of our our race competition has been scrutinized. There are many changes coming there. Uh, technical rules and regulations, very stable. You know, the, mm-hmm. the car makeup and the class structure unchanged from last year, but with an eye towards the future, we've got new GT regulations in 16, new prototype in 17. Mm-hmm. So there's a tremendous amount of work being done right now to make sure we hit mm-hmm. those marks. Um, you're going to see some very significant improvements in our digital delivery uh, across all facets of that, both the second screen experience, uh, the app, our TV uh, broadcasts, um, everything from who's in the booth. Probably the most radical change of all is going to be in our radio broadcasts. <laughs> and uh, we finally cracked the code. We, um, we've, we think we're on to something here with this new group that we're working with. Time will tell. Yeah, yeah. yeah a strange bunch of people to work with. Yeah. What's the mechanics of how that works, Scott? Do you have debriefs at the end of a weekend? Do you have working groups? Do you have people looking at it season long? How, how does that all come together? Because clearly, 
you know, everybody accepts that not every single letter that's going to get written in or email is going to be an influencer. But if you if you are detecting uh, a trend, who's who's looking at that, and, and how does that filter back, essentially, to you and the people who make the decisions? Um, of all the examples you rallied through, there, I would say D, all of the above. Right. Um, we literally pull every full-time staff member and every part-time staff member that's available together. There's a very large room downstairs in this building. We, every person in the room has an opportunity to speak. They're encouraged to take notes throughout each event weekend. And it's not just a, a complaint session. No. It's a uh, accolades for people that went above mm. and beyond uh, calling out, you know, plans that worked as well or better than were expected. Mm-hmm. And we want to make sure we do that again. It's very self-critical, though. Yeah. I mean, it is. Uh, we, we take it from a fan's perspective. And, uh, how would we have liked it the way it went down? And, you know, did we handle that correctly? If we had the opportunity to do it again, would we change it? And every event has, I would say, a, a probably an eight to ten page single space typed follow-up you know, debrief document that then becomes the roadmap for that same event the following year. And by doing that after each event, there are some changes that are implemented immediately. I mean, we're going to do that the next race. There's others that we need to implement that as soon as practically possible. And then there's other examples that, well, we're not racing at Monster Raceway for another year, but when we come back there... yes. If it was something directly specific, yes. We're going to do it differently or we're going to make sure that we do this again. So this is something that we did after every ALMS race. I don't think they did that after the Grand Am because when we pulled everybody together, people kind of looking around at each other going, you know, somebody going to get fired here or what's the deal? (laughs) I said, no, we're just here to – we're going to critique the weekend and we're going to build a a document that's going to be a real asset to us for next year. And – in the mid-season of this past year, we pulled everybody together and we watched the TV broadcasts, including the commercials, mm-hmm. because we were getting so much feedback from our fans about what was happening in the broadcast that was displeasing. Mm-hmm. So we sat and watched it as if we're a fan. You know, we're not fast-forwarding. We're not seeing an That's edited. Funny. You know, uh, and did the fan uh, did the fan questionnaire come out of one of those meetings? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and um, among many other things. Um, I will tell you that we made some very significant changes to our broadcast as a result of us because, candidly, on a race weekend, we have no time to – I never get a chance to sit and watch the race. And then you're back in the office Monday morning, and it's straight on to the next one. And I went – you know, we pulled everybody together, and I said, okay, show of hands. How many people have sat down and watched a Tudor United sports car broadcast start to finish? And I would say 10% yeah. of, the, of the hands went up. And I said, well, we're all in this together. And we all took very detailed notes. And that first time we sat through that process, I will say that the fans were absolutely correct. You know, there was some things taking place in those broadcasts that were just maddening. And it made you want to do one thing, turn it off, yeah. you know, or tape it and come back and watch it later when I can hit the fast forward button so as we wrap up then I'll look inside the Judy United Sports Car Championship and IMSA with uh, Scott Atherton is that, the, is that the real story to sum up that it's constant improvement constant examination of oneself 
but also trying to do it through the eyes of all of your stakeholders. And that's a, that's a tough thing to do. There's a lot of people pulling you in different ways. Uh, yes, is the short answer to your question. It, it will never, will never be there. You know, it's always going to be a work in progress. Um, we have taken a lot of uh, constructive feedback on board, and rather than making it a, a dismissive, you know, thanks for your input, <laughs> and we're just going to go back to doing it the way we always have. I think fans, competitors, media. Every aspect of who we consider to be our stakeholders, which just about covers the, the whole gamut, are going to see material change. Not to suggest that you know we we had it all wrong, because no. believe me, there's there's a lot that we're proud of, mm-hmm. and and as I think we should be, there there's some remarkable results that came out of this inaugural year, but we've learned from those mistakes. Um, you said it a moment ago. We're never going to make everybody happy. Um, and in the competition side of the house, having everybody just a little bit unhappy is the perfect balance. You know, we know we've hit the sweet spot. That's a tough way to go to, to work every day yeah, yeah. when everyone is unhappy. But from a competitive perspective, that's what makes the, the racing as competitive and as exciting as it is. And at the end, you know, we do this for the fans. And uh, if that's what makes it more appealing to a fan base... I'll put up with the, uh, you know, the uh, everybody a little unhappy yeah. to get us to that goal. The odd brick bat here and there. there you mentioned go. for the fans there. What about the fan that's sitting next to me? Some of these changes mean that you're going to get to see some more of the racing that I know runs deeply in your blood and in your heart and that you love. I hope so. <laughs> um, I sure do. And I, you know, we had, uh, I'm, I relocated my family to the Daytona area here and uh, we had the Daytona Classic just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I went to that event completely logo-free, a ball cap, dark glasses. I wanted to go strictly as a fan and and just enjoy it because you're right, at the core of, of my soul is a sports car racing fan that would would buy a ticket to come to our races, sincerely. And uh, it didn't quite work out. I had my wife with me, and about uh, an hour into it, she said, you know what, I think I'm just going to go wait in the car because <laughs> there's just no way to avoid it, which that's okay. You know, I, I can absorb that and process it. There's times that I wish it was different, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, I, uh, I'm looking forward to 2015, and I think the fans should as well. Scott, thanks for your time. We are looking forward to 2015. Thanks for giving us a, the briefest of look inside the very complex machinations of running not only one race series but a sanctioning body the Tudor United Sports Car Series and uh, Championship rather and IMSA of course thank you thank you John and really really looking forward to uh, having you and the Radio Le Mans team back with us and you know across all the the facets that that covers um, as we put in the press release and as you guys uh, did such a great job with the, the photo you know we literally put the band back together and I couldn't be more pleased This program is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.